Hey guys and gals, and anything in between, we're back! Kinda. Sorry it's been a while. Last year got a little hectic with wedding and holidays, and me being a little lazy. I also just got a little more frustrated with our sound quality as time went on. Nico and I are preparing to record again, and this time with mics. They are inexpensive, but hopefully make us sound a lot better. We are also changing our release schedule a little. I was never good about putting out episodes every week anyway. We have decided to do a group of episodes with a theme, so kind of like mini seasons. So you'll get new episodes for like four or five weeks, and then we'll a break for a couple weeks while we decide on what theme we want to go to next. While we are discussing our first theme and collecting our research, I am releasing the episodes we recorded but never released. So these are before we got mics, and sound quality still sucks. We are excited to continue this project, and we'll have some other surprises for you as we ramp up production again. Thanks for being here with us, and make sure to reach out with any themes you would like us to cover. Now here's our episode on Greg Luganus. Welcome to Queer Icons, where we cover and discuss an important figure to the LGBT plus community and give our thoughts on why they resonate with the queer community. Hey, Nico, how are you doing? I'm great, Matthew. Um, still recovering from going to the gay campground this weekend, having a little too much fun but also enduring a tropical storm in a tent and <laughs> running around in the woods. Wasn't fun? Yeah, so much fun. <laughs> I had to spend two days later trying to dry all my camping gear. Yeah, outside. ours is still drying out back. We're, we're going to pack up a lot of it so that, like, when we get home this evening. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And then Monday, it had kind of stopped raining in Atlanta, so I put everything out. Oh no! And it was, was going to rain. You didn't check the it weather. Was, it was, no, it was. It wasn't supposed to rain until at night. So there was sunshine. It was oh, beautiful. Okay. I went outside. Things were dry, and I was like, "Great! I'll go fetch my bag." I go back into oh. the house. I hear thunder. By the time I went back outside, it was pouring again. So everything <laughs> got wet again. <laughs> so then I had to wait hours <laughs> for it to dry mm-hmm. again. That's why we waited until after the rain on Tuesday to oh, put it out. So that's why ours. It was. Dry. I wanted to get it done as quick as possible, mm-hmm. but I was also so sleep deprived and tired that yeah, it is a hard getting back into normal society after like camping into the woods yes. <laughs> sort of integrating yourself back into it. But yeah, no, uh, the tropical storm served as Claudette. Yeah, well, I learned that I can survive now in the rain. <laughs> I mean, by the time it got to us, there was not any like tropical storm winds and stuff. So. No, although it did get a little windy the, the last night that yeah, my, my tent was shaking. <laughs> <laughs> A soft breeze will make your attention. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just so happy that I had my tent on a slope. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, because water, unfortunately, pulled on one. There was a puddle oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the end, far end away from me. And I did not realize until I was packing. And thankfully, nothing was really wet, except that there was water inside the tent. <laughs> No clothes got wet. No clothes got wet. That's the most important part. Uh, but uh, yeah, what about you? Oh, you know, I've been, you know, sipping whiskey, smoking pot, and sucking dick. So 
know, so we went camping together, and that is always an adventure, and it just takes a lot of out of me. You know, like, when we're camping, I always have a hard time sleeping, so I end yeah. up, like, waking up early in the morning. What's those damn coyotes uh, that we hear in the wilderness? <laughs> yes. And then on top of that, we're drinking somewhat heavily, so it takes just a lot out of me, and getting back into the rhythm of life is always difficult. So, speaking about drinking heavily, I only drank the first night, which was wise, but I I haven't really been drinking much for the past year, and yeah. so my tolerance is gone. So, I drank so much the first night, I got my hangover in the middle of the night <laughs> while I was in the tent sleeping. I didn't get it the next morning, no. as usual, or, you know, in the middle of the, the, night. Middle of the night, I wake up with a splitting oh, headache. Fumbling for for some Advil in, in my bag next to me. <laughs> Thankfully, I yeah. had some. But I was like, "Oh God, that, is this a sign? How old I'm getting?" Yes. <laughs> welcome, welcome. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I have not been like since January. I've not been drinking a lot, mm-hmm. um, which has been helping me lose weight. And so whenever I do drink, it's it always it's just. I know oh. you're disappearing in front oh, of my very eyes. Oh my gosh, not this. so do you have any queer as fuck yes so i watched luca the animated movie yeah i want to watch it so i'm not going to spoil too 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 much about it but a friend of mine told me that you know it was a queer story and then that it was inspired by the movie call me by your name because it's also set in italy has a vintagey feel Mm -hmm. and has two male leads and I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't know much about it, so I, I will definitely watch it. So it did read as queer-coded to me because the two boys, the two protagonists had to hide their nature amongst mm-hmm. a society that is, like, predisposed to fear and hate them. And they were also quite affectionate with each other and sensitive, which, of course... In society full of toxic masculinity, you know, that would read more as, like, queer characters. Right. But the two leads are definitely not gay, nor were they intended to be by the creator who based the story on his childhood experiences because he's Italian. But, so, what made me realize was that we do need, we, we, we have this desire to read them as queer because of the lack of representation in Hollywood films and right. big budget animated films and stuff. And uh, that was quite illuminating, re- realizing that. Because, yes, it definitely yeah. read as queer coded, but also it couldn't have been. It just showed two boys just yeah. showing affection and showing their emotions and bonding. Right. And, yeah, in, in a heteronormative society <laughs> of, like, toxic masculinity, that is like, oh, no, they're gay. That's just queer by itself. Yeah, that's just queer by itself. So, you know, we definitely need to accept the fact that men can have affection, yes. can show affection towards each other and vulnerability and, and comfort each other without them being explicitly queer, yeah. you know. So one I watched <clears throat> recently was Mitchell's vs. the Machines. I have and not heard that. Yes, you have. You're the one that Mitchell? was telling the Mitchells versus the Machines. Nope, that was another one. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Where the lead girl is a lesbian and she's fighting robots with her family. 
I swear it was you that I was talking about. No. Maybe it was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you I probably talked you. to so many people at the campground. I did. No, this was not at the campground. This was before we went. But yeah, so that's one. It's on Netflix. It's uh-huh. a Netflix original. And that's really cute. And the the it's not like the centerpiece of the of the movie because it's about this family rebonding basically. Mm-hmm. But the lead girl is a lesbian. And I mean it is like there's there's little things throughout that like okay. show you that like her button like on her jacket and stuff like that. That's but, a, I'll, I'll definitely check it and out. And then it's expressly mentioned at the end of the movie. So all right, something like that. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> Yay for representation and visibility. Yay. Um. So my queerest fact this week is just the the amount of coming out stories that we have gotten over the past couple of weeks. Most recently was actually a uh, soccer player for the Washington Spirit, Kumi Yokoyama. I hope I said that correctly. Has come out as transgender. Mm-hmm. So I like I was like seeing that one, and then before them was Carl Nassib of the Las Vegas Raiders came out as gay, and he's the first like active NFL player to mm-hmm. come out as gay. We had that gentleman a few years ago. I can't remember his name right now. And he got drafted, but then never got put on a team. Got it. So like was never. And before you move on to the next person, I'm oh. just going to reveal to our listeners the little blunder that I did. <laughs> <laughs> right before we start recording, I'm scanning the notes and I misread it. As the Las Vegas Raiders came out as gay, the entire team. Yeah, actually, the whole team came out. <laughs> the whole team. Yes, the yes. whole team. The whole team. They're just going a whole new direction. And and this shows that I do need coffee in the morning. Um, and then lastly, we had American Idol um, contestant David Archuleta came out as part of the LGBT community. He said. That he identified as gay, but now identifies as a little bit more fluid. So oh, cool. um, kind of avoiding the whole label mm-hmm. scenario. But well, um, I mean, fluid yeah. is yeah, uh, like the the spectrum, right? But yeah, good for him. I thought he already was out though. No. I guess it was one of those things, so right? We... No, it's something you already just knew in yourself. <laughs> just sense <laughs> it, <laughs> but. Like, I wasn't surprised by the news. Yes. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Then I was like, oh, I thought he already was out. But no. yeah, that was it. <laughs> so, guys, if you're enjoying Nico's and I's takes on the queer icons that we talk about every week and would like to help us out, please give us a rating and leave a review. We always enjoy feedback. Don't forget to sub- subscribe to us if you haven't already. And you can email us at queericonspodcast at gmail.com. Please send us any um, comments or questions. And that's... Email address, queericonspodcast at gmail.com will also be in the listener notes. So if you are worried about how to spell it, just check it out there. So, Nico, we're covering Greg Luganis this week? Yes, we are. Who I believe is our first athlete that we are covering. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because last week when we were discussing, I was like, oh, we haven't done an athlete. And I was like, oh, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was the first one that really came in and to mind and since we are doing an athlete for today so you know we thought it would be fun to kind of discuss sports that we've been involved in now personally i currently don't really partake in any sports 
But as a kid, I I I was involved. I did Shotokan karate. I did tennis, and I was very active in swimming until college. That's when, you know, coming to the states, I kind of just focused on academics and yeah. art and stuff. So that, but it was still. I swim at every opportunity. <laughs> but yeah, no, growing up, I essentially was a beach bum every summer, spending endless hours in the sea. And of course, during the school year, I was at the pool training when I really, really enjoyed being part of the swim team and that whole training process. It was always a lot of fun. There was a lot of camaraderie going on. So definitely water was my element. And I do recall, like, you know, I was just thinking, oh, are there any, like, funny stories from competitions and stuff? And I was thinking, like, there was one time in fifth grade, I forgot we had a race uh, oh, no. going on. So they took me from my classroom, which is normal because they take you in the middle of the day. So yeah. you drive to wherever you're competing. But I didn't have a swimsuit or anything <laughs> with me. So I had to borrow one from my teammate because he had an extra one. Uh-huh. And I got two surprise medals in the competition. So I remember, like, I let I let him win in the event that we were competing. I got the silver on that because he did give me my swims. But I got home and, you know, it was like, surprised that I had medals and I was like trust me <laughs> like I was just as surprised as you and then come to think about it I did the same thing with tennis one time too where I had to use someone else's racket I guess and I did win medals oh my gosh. and I got on the bus stop and my mom's like and of course I had it around my neck because you're showing them off right and my mother's like what the hell <laughs> And I was like, yeah, yeah. Turns out I was absent-minded when it came to sports. Yeah, <laughs> was... not writing down your competition news. I, yeah, really did not. But yeah, I, I like the sports that really did not involve balls because mm-hmm. I was wearing glasses from a very, very young age and I was terrified because they had broken my glasses before getting like hit with the balls in the face. So I would always flinch. You need to stop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's too many comments to be made in this last couple sentences oh my god but anyway moving on i'm a big fan of the olympics and i love track and field i love watching this kind of sports and i have attended the athens in 2004 in beijing in 2008 olympics so i'm just very excited to cover an olympian to today the olympics Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a teenager when the Athens oh ones happened. I remember that like we were yesterday. And I was so excited because the whole city was kind of revamped and redone. Yeah. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. Definitely a life-changing experience seeing like the whole world coming together in, yeah. in peace for this competition, which really stems from the ancient Olympics, how they stopped wars and battles. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, now we're going to do the games. Uh-huh. They're like, it has that like sort of sacred feeling to yeah. it. And then, yeah, when I went to the Beijing ones, it was kind of like the same. And it was fascinating being in such a radically different culture in China with still so much history and how much they also love the, the games. And uh, then being told how much Beijing had changed for the games as well. 
each, each city, each host city really does get a facelift. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And actually, my first, because I live, you know, live in Atlanta now, and my, my first memory of knowing what Atlanta was, was the 96 Olympics. I remember watching the opening ceremony with my mom, and she was explaining to me, like, where Atlanta was. <sighs> and all that and now you're here and now i'm here <laughs> and i had no idea like as a little kid that hey one day you would be living right. and you would i remember so distinctly the the lighting of the flame and everything and now passing it on the street mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like mind-boggling a little bit yeah. <laughs> i never thought i would see it up close <laughs> I played soccer as a small child and did not do very well. And I, so I kind of just dabbled in a bunch of different sports. I did horseback riding for a few years and then I was pressured to participate in competitions and I didn't like that aspect of it. (laughs) So I ended up kind of like letting it go. In high school, I played volleyball and I remember those one time that my coach made me like practice so hard that I threw up and then made me clean up the throw up and get back to practice. <laughs> Those coaches are vicious. One time my mother forgot me yeah. at the, at the training session in the swimming pool because she was like out shopping or something. <laughs> and I had to train with the second team as well, uh-huh. even though I had finished my training. And it was the first time in my life that my mother was apologetic to me <laughs> that I could remember where like after she got, cause I was, I was tired. Yeah. I was famished <laughs> and I was furious. And then she's like, it was the first time that she was like, do you want fast food? Anything you want for lunch? Like, what do you want? Anything. Do you, do you want Yitos? Like what do you, <laughs> oh my gosh. That was hilarious. So then my senior year, we started a um, crew or rowing club. Uh-huh. So there weren't enough teams in our district to like have an actual team. So mm-hmm. it was just a club instead of a team. But we did participate in, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on words right now. <laughs> what did you participate in? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, maybe we'll cut trigger this, it with this question. <laughs> Hold on. It's on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. Regatta. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so we did participate in regattas, which is just like competitions or races or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we were actually like a pretty good like team Mm -hmm. we did very well especially for it being our like first year in existence Mm -hmm. so it was really well i really enjoyed it and i just remember it being like so difficult because we were an eight person boat and Uh so getting eight people to row in unison at the same time well don't you have a person to kind of give you the rhythm you do but i mean like just you still have to learn you know so and like really the person is giving you a rhythm but like, you're already kind of in it. Yeah. So, like, once it gets going, you know, it's not too hard. But, and I really just, like, love most sports that take place on the water. I was never, like, really into swimming or a strong swimmer. <laughs> yes, I worded that correctly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then as a as a high schooler, I dabbled in surfing. Wow. I just never like really went out enough to like get good at it. It's one of my regrets. I wish I had like worked harder at it. As an adult living in Atlanta, I have done flag football and kickball. And the very first week I played kickball, I got injured. So yay me. I like hurt my knee and that was like swelled up. Oh. <laughs> and I couldn't play for like two weeks. No. Um, and both those times, both the times I was, I played flag football and, and kickball, I was on losing teams, but we did have a lot of fun going to the bar afterwards. <laughs> and then currently right now, just like for exercise, I'm rock climbing. So I like to just dabble in things yeah. all over the place. <laughs> well, that's why it means that you're like very versatile and what you like to do and right. like aesthetics and yes. whatnot. Yeah, I mean, right now I do like hiking. Yeah, that is considered uh, athletics. <laughs> kind of a sport. I mean, it can it's be. But... Yeah, and then I mean, and every time I'm in the sea, I I love swimming. So, yeah. You know. No, I really enjoy swimming. I've never been like a super strong swimmer, like competition mm-hmm. style or anything like that. Yeah. But like, I'm a good enough swimmer to like get around or. Mm-hmm. stuff like that so yeah. and i grew up like in a beach town so i'm used to like ocean currents and stuff like sure, that you, so. you really you have to respect the, right. the sea and fearful of the ocean <laughs> right <laughs> definitely <laughs> i learned that i i taught actually a friend of mine how to swim when we were in college and he was visiting the middle east it was really funny because it was right under the temple of poseidon oh okay and i was like how appropriate <laughs> <laughs> And it was definitely uh, a, a very fulfilling experience. But yeah, whenever like you would get tired and just like latch onto me and then I would be doing the swimming. Oh, no, that's not supposed to happen. I know, I know. <laughs> but I was strong enough that I was yeah, easily was able to like carry him throughout. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. Oh, sports. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, actually, and just being in, in the swim team, like we were really introduced to a lot of competitive swimming we would watch because we would observe things. Right. And granted, I didn't really do water polo much or, or diving, but Greg Luganis was one of the biggest names, um, you know, when I was a kid, especially, you know, just having a Greek name. It yeah, really I was It resonated with, with the community. So yeah, we can move straight on into right, the uh, regular game. So he was born in El Cajon, California on January 29th, 1960. He's of Samoan and Swedish descent, and he was adopted by a Greek couple when he was eight months old. He did reconnect with his biological father in 84 and found his biological mother in 2017. So growing up, he took dance, acrobatics, and gymnastic classes at a very young age, showing incredible talent, practicing daily, and he started to compete and give public performances. And we're talking, I think he started like 18 months old, something absurdly young from what I read, and just really excelled in it. He was unfortunately a frequent victim of racism due to his darker skin and Samoan background. So Lugania said that sports became a way to dodge the bullies because training and competing took him out of school. He did say, when you're a kid growing up and you think you're gay, you know that you're different. You are often teased and it can really destroy your self-esteem. 
but sports can be great for building self-esteem. He also took up trampolining and at the age of nine began diving lessons after the family got a swimming pool. I was watching an interview of his mom, how she had that revelation, like that click was like, oh, well, he's already doing it at home. Might as well give him like swim, like actual diving lessons right. uh, for it. And, you know, sadly, you know, at the age of 12, he was so depressed that he attempted suicide by taking pills, which failed. So he still feels, his self-esteem was really relying mostly on his training and workout results right. from what I saw in the interview. So if he had a good training session, he could conquer the world. Right. And a bad one, you know, was absolutely horrible. But he was so good that at 16, he participated in the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal, earning the silver medal for platform diving. And at that age, it was also when he started realizing more of his homosexuality rather than just being different. He later earned the gold in that event two years later in the World Championship. So we do see a steady rise in like his accomplishments. In 1978, he attended the University of Miami, where he majored in drama and continued diving. In 81, he transferred to University of California. And in 83, he graduated with a major in theater and a minor in dance. And he was a favorite for two golds in the 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow. But the Americans boycotted the games and thus prevented him from participating. So he had to wait another four years. But in the meantime, in 82, he did win two titles in the World Championships. And he became the first diver in a major international competition to get a perfect score of 10 from all seven judges. Wow. Yeah. So in the Los Angeles 84 Olympic Games, with uh, record scores and leads over his opponents, he won gold medals in both the springboard and tower diving events. And later won gold in two more world championship events in 86. So definitely it's, and seeing his track record is like gold, 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 right. gold, gold, gold. <laughs> it's amazing. And now, of course, we're going to the 1988 Seoul Olympics, where his head struck the springboard during the preliminary rounds, leading to a concussion. He completed the preliminaries despite his injury. Mm-hmm. He then earned the highest single score of the qualifying round for his next dive and repeated the dive during the finals, earning the gold medal. And later won a second gold and the hardest dive event. So this comeback earned him the title of Athlete of the Year for 1988. So, you know, that perseverance is truly astonishing. Right. Now, the 88 Olympics are very significant for Leganis' life because six months before he was diagnosed with HIV, and he immediately started the AZT treatment, which you have to take every four hours in the middle of the night. His coach, Ron O'Brien, knew of Luganis's diagnosis, but believed that if the Olympic Committee knew an athlete had HIV, he would not be allowed to compete as people with HIV or AIDS face great stigma at the time. They were definitely ostracized and shunned. So when he had injured his head in the Olympics, and some blood got in the pool. Again, it said that he was paralyzed with fear that someone might catch the virus. He is quoted saying, I didn't know 
if I was cut or not, but I just wanted to hold the blood in and just not let anybody touch it. The incident posed no risk to others. I, I did read upon it as any blood was fully diluted in the pool water. Right. It doesn't really transmit through the skin contact and chlorine is. So, but of course, it was the 80s and we were still discovering a lot. Right. Like doctors were still discovering a lot about it. And yes. then like, so of course, the everyday person mm-hmm. like knew even less. So Yes, definitely. So he did say, at the time I was diagnosed, we thought of HIV as a death sentence. It was six months prior to the Olympic Games, and I was like, well, I'm going to pack my bags and go home and lock myself in my house and wait to die. Had they known about my HIV status at the 88 Olympics in Seoul, I would have never been allowed into the country. But my doctor encouraged me that the healthiest thing for me would be to continue training for the Olympics. The diving was much more of a positive thing to focus on. I did suffer from depression, If we had a day off, I couldn't get out of bed. I would just pull the covers over my head. But as long as I had something on the calendar, I showed up. Whether that was to work out, an interview, or speaking, or appearances, I'd show up. I've long suffered from chronic depression, so even when I was younger, I didn't think I'd see 30. It's... It was I, a lot. I, it was a lot. A lot of his interviews, it was really heartbreaking when, when he talks about that period of his life. Yeah. And inspiring now to like seeing the achievements, everything that he has right. accomplished, but seeing such a fragile personal life into it and hiding away. So from 83 to 89, he was in a romantic relationship with his manager, Jim Babbitt. Their relationship was abusive. Bogaina said that in 83, Babbitt raped him at knife point. He also accused Babbitt of taking 8% of his earnings and had contracted HIV from him. In 89, Luganis obtained a restraining order against Babbitt, who did eventually die from AIDS in 1990. For his uh, 33rd birthday in 1993, Luganis held a final birthday party for family and friends as a way to say goodbye. He was in failing health and thought he would die of AIDS soon. That was shocking and heartbreaking to to read. Yeah. And I, I can't even... Yeah, it's a, like, be thinking of yourself in that, like, manner. Like, oof, yes. it's hard. No, abs- absolutely. In the meantime, you know, we do see that he was inducted in 93 in the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And he did publicly come out as gay in a pre-taped announcement shown at the opening ceremony of the 94 Gay Games. Mm-hmm. He was persuaded to do so by the organizers. So we see now in the mid-90s, after getting all these accomplishments as an Olympian in, in the 80s, that he is starting to become more and more vocal and public with his right. personal life. In 95, he announced that he was HIV positive around the time of the release of his memoir, Breaking the Surface. In an interview with Barbara Walters, he spoke publicly for the first time about being gay, HIV positive, and at the time having AIDS, mm-hmm. actually. Breaking the Surface became a best-selling book, 
It was co-written with Eric Marcus and it was published in 96. Luganius Chronicles is winning of back-to-back -back double gold medals by the 84 and 88 Summer Olympics and his self-doubt and lack of confidence that held him back personally and professionally because of concealing his sexual orientation as a gay athlete. The book was also about him coming out as an HIV positive gay man. A97, Breaking the Surface, the Greg Luganis story was a TV movie based on the book, starring Mario Lopez, who Luganis also- I remember also, that. I do remember that movie too. <laughs> and Luganis also appeared in certain scenes and as a narrator. He later also produced a video diary called Looking to the Light, which picked up where Breaking the Surface left off. So we, we really do see how enticing, I guess, and interesting and different yeah. and inspiring his story is. Right. Like, is willing to tell his story. Yes, and put himself became, out there yeah. and, you know, kind of truly lead by example. Mm -hmm. And then I was also really astonished. I was I, I read a couple articles about that, that he only really had an endorsement with Speedo, mm -hmm. even though he had multiple Olympic victories. And apparently that was because he was rumored to be gay before his coming out, and some of his fellow athletes blamed homophobia, and even himself has suspected that his sexuality played a part of it, that he didn't really get a lot of endorsements, which is a huge deal for athletes. Right. You know, that's... I mean, that's how you make your money, basically. Uh, absolutely. It's <laughs> insane. So by 2010, Luganis began coaching divers in California. He was a mentor to the U.S. diving team at the London 2012 Olympics and the Rio de Janeiro 2016 Olympics. After retiring from di diving, Luganis began to compete in dog agility competitions. And I absolutely love how he talks about dogs. He loves dogs so yeah. much. <laughs> it's it's so endearing. It's so beautiful. And in 2013, Luganis got married to Johnny Chaylot. I think that's we'll how you would that. pronounce <laughs> that last name. I do apologize if I made a mistake. On And then just like last week, he announced on Instagram that he and his husband had mutually agreed to end their marriage. Oh, my God. Because I was looking for, like, recent updates. Yeah. And that was, I guess, the most recent. Not on Instagram. Life-changing thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, and his career, he, he has had roles in a few movies, TV, and theater. He even starred in an off-Broadway play called Jeffrey in a one-man show called The Only Thing Worse you could have told me, which was about gay life. Mm -hmm. So we do see that did he they did. Make Jeffrey into a movie. I think so. There I've is, yeah. Seen that with a very accomplished actor, mm. also gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm aware of it. Um, I just cannot think of the name. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we do see that he has truly evolved into a gay rights activist as well as an HIV awareness advocate. He has worked frequently with the Human Rights Campaign to defend the civil liberties of the LGBT community and people diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. He says that I tried... Patrick Stewart is not gay. Yes, but his best friend is. But he's right. So I was about to say his best friend is honorary. <laughs> No, and then Stephen Weber as well. He's the star of it. Right. Who also is not gay. But... <laughs> we well, go. let's say Patrick Stewart is very convincing. 
Right, there's a go. <laughs> right, go ahead. Um, but yeah, no, speaking about being a gay rights activist and helping the community, he said that I tried to live by example, being gay, being HIV positive. You know, life goes on. HIV taught me that I'm a lot stronger than I ever believed I was. Also, not to take anything for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, truly, truly an, an inspiring story. Yes. Um, I was I was very moved doing doing research on him. There were you know there were things that I knew. There were a lot of things that I did not know. Yeah, I was aware of the accomplishments, uh, the Olympic Games, right? And stuff, of course. But... Actually, I was not aware of like how accomplished he was because I guess a lot mm -hmm. of his um, gold medals just happened when I was so young that like I don't yeah. remember versus. Um, I think I only remember kind of like the later last Olympics. Um, and I remember the head hitting incident, but that's probably because it got brought back up later. Yeah. Um, during interviews. And I well, remember being such a scandal. Well, yeah, definitely. Cause in the nineties, there was still a lot of fear mongering oh, yes. ab about HIV and AIDS and all the, uh, even in the interviews, you can still see, um, a level of kind of criticism right and so yeah um about hiding the fact and not revealing it yeah. until years later um and then you know he stirred that whole debate that you know his health was is private should right. have been public but then you know there were the people advocating for well what about endangering others yeah. so it was a big thing and you know he did claim that he felt tremendously guilty right over that for a very long time. So um, what was your favorite thing that you learned? Probably the, the first thing that, that I, I did type in my notes and that is perseverance through adversity. Mm -hmm. You know, while being in the public eye, especially. Right. Um, his bravery of coming out at the time period that he did, especially revealing his HIV status, that, oh, that, that takes so much, so much bravery. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like interesting that um, during mm -hmm. like researching this and then of course like watching a couple like pride things this year and everything is mm -hmm. like I didn't realize that kind of the um, the gay movement was actually very focused on events like like getting people to come out yeah um, and they were not focused on like marriage equality or anything like that like the, uh, their whole focus was mm -hmm. on this other aspect of it mm -hmm. um because our opponents actually were not focused on marriage either until hawaii almost legalized gay marriage i wasn't aware of that and then, yeah no. so so and then that's what like flipped the whole script and then um, you know our opponents were then focused on it as well and everything like that but okay. um so that's where we like i think that's part of like where we got these more famous people because ellen came out around this time as well a little bit later than this but around this time yeah um and so i think that's where that whole focus of getting like all these public people to mm -hmm. come out and like it had started yeah. working i guess <laughs> well it was a big thing uh especially coming emerging from a pandemic at mm -hmm. the time and in, in, in our community that 
we needed those role models. Yes. We needed that visibility. Well, we were getting, yeah, it was getting ignored. It was getting ignored, and we were losing daily. Daily, people, yes. yes. Um, so yes, I, I I do agree that the focus, you know, was about having representation that mm. these people do exist. That we're not yeah hiding away in the closet and ignored and. Yeah. you know brushed away um so yeah it just um yeah it was a lot so like i was definitely um greg luganus was one of the first gay people i was aware of he came out um and during a time that at my age is when i like even started to become aware of like sexuality in general whether mm-hmm. straight or gay and so um, people my age, this is the kind of one of the first events that people my age would have like talked about. Um, and he was also my first serious introduction to hearing people even speak about HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I really had not heard anything about it until that point, basically. Um, I was really surprised to learn like about his relationship. I don't think I had ever like i don't think i was aware of that um that he was in this abusive relationship for you know a very long time and that um it's even the relationship that he contracted hiv in Mm -hmm. and just the like sad circumstances of that um and then uh like a little more fun i didn't realize he was adopted yeah (laughs) Yeah, my first realization was because i knew i mean obviously the last name is greek yeah and then i remember seeing him and i was like well he's tan <laughs> but he doesn't really look so much greek mm-hmm. and and i was a little kid when i first made the realization and yeah. then i kind of like i was like okay whatever um but yeah it, it wasn't until later when i found out that he was actually adopted i was like right. oh that makes sense now <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then I'm sure these did not happen like extremely simultaneously because the Olympics were only two weeks. Mm-hmm. But you paired them together that he like was figuring out his sexuality at 16 while also participating in the Olympics. And I'm like, well, of course, being around the top athletes in the world <laughs> will help you figure out your sexuality. <laughs> I, I, I have heard stories that the Olympic Village uh, does become uh-huh. prone to a lot of. Um, promiscuity yeah activities activities (laughs) not saying anything personally about greg whether he did it or not um but also well he was 16 so yes he was uh, i think he was the youngest diver in that year oh really okay yeah and and he came back with the silver which is such a freaking accomplishment it was so truly such an inspiring story um uh, as an athlete and as a person. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, granted, I, when I was watching the water polo uh, Olympics in, in Beijing, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, it, 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 was a, it, it was a little bit of body dysmorphia. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my, my God, the, you know. And then it's like, oh my god! <laughs> what I, uh, I mean, like we're getting over on the tangent here, but one of my we favorite really Olympic sports to watch is um, the gymnasts when they're on the rings. 
because every <laughs> single muscle is flexed. Every yes. single one of them. It's crazy. Oh, okay. Anyway, so why <laughs> does Greg Luganis resonate with the queer community? I think because for first of all, he was a role model for athletes. Right. Um. So he had that representation in sports, and we, we do see more of that with like with Gus Kenworthy now. Like, yeah. You know, just having even current representation, but. You know, he was definitely a pioneer of that. And also that HIV is not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, not not truly anymore. And people with HIV win the Olympics. You know, they, they can be strong, you know. they mm-hmm. And he can motivate HIV positive people and, and help them understand that, you know, their life is not over. He, he says that, you know, never underestimate your ability to make someone else's life better in it, even if you never know it. Right. So we do see that he has truly embraced his role as a role model, as someone to look up to. And um, I look up to him uh, yeah. for, for sure for, for his accomplishment. Um, just, uh, you know having that condition and still accomplishing so much body wise because that that virus does really take a toll on your body right especially then especially the medications the medication to too then, yeah. yeah um oh yeah i read some details and the effects that oh, yeah. he had to time things properly when he was taking the medication and then when he was like performing yeah and stuff so it, it was crazy that that becomes your everyday life right um so no truly truly uh inspiring that that's all i can say about him um but yeah so that was our story on uh greg Luganis, uh filled with several tangents <laughs> as always as always we oh. promise to forever bring you tangents <laughs> Hope uh, you learned a lot. Hope you got inspired. Thank you so much for listening today about this truly incredible brave man. And he can truly serve as an inspiration of the strength of the human spirit.